Support for this podcast comes from CityCast Denver. CityCast Denver is the daily local podcast that tackles stuff you've been wondering about Denver. Would a Denver Olympics be a good thing? Will the cost of housing ever come back down to earth? Is Casa Bonita still Casa Bonita if the food is tasty? Each morning, CityCast Denver brings you the hidden gems and unexpected discussions you actually want to hear. Plus, a dose of local news to get you up to speed. Hosted by lifelong Denverite Bree Davies, every episode of CityCast Denver is the local conversation you won't want to miss. Made by Denverites, for Denverites. Find CityCast Denver on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Underground of the Showcase, an official podcast of the Underground Music Showcase powered by Youth on Record. I'm Genevieve Blim, and we're recording all weekend at Muni Information Cafe on South Broadway with some artists who are going to be performing at this year's festival. So in this episode, we are joined by Camila and Alec of Specific Ocean. Welcome, guys. Um, Specific Ocean writes and performs original indie music that is reflective of their diverse musical backgrounds. Jazz, alternative, hip-hop, and funk are all significant components of their sound. Specific Ocean is known for energetic live shows that allow improvisation and spontaneity. So let's take a listen to your new song, Sunday Morning. Ocean, welcome to the festival and to this podcast. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. So I wanted to start out by asking, what's your origin story? How did you guys find each other? Well, we met uh, at the University of Denver at the Lamont School of Music. We were both getting jazz degrees Mm -hmm. and played in a lot of schools groups together and then decided we were tired of jazz and wanted to do something else. So we've started a band. Yeah, it was uh, just like close friends looking to explore different genres of music, but, you know, still trying to do it with what we were learning at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So you're exposed to a lot of like really cool influences and what those things could mean, but you don't necessarily want to like play in like this codified old style, you know? So you've been kind of classically trained in like a conservatory environment would you say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly yeah we both have our jazz and contemporary music bachelors so we Mm -hmm. were like yeah 
And Camila also has a master's in jazz arranging. Oh, wow. And composition. I really sent it on the jazz thing. <laughs> <laughs> so how was it to kind of come from that world into the more indie music scene? For me, it was really natural because I've been listening to indie music my whole life and like grew up on things that weren't necessarily jazz in addition to a ton of jazz. So my compositional background as a jazz piano player like definitely comes through a lot, but yeah, I think it was like an easy, nice transition that gave me a better outlet than jazz sometimes gives me. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say the same thing. It's like I, I didn't come into music being a, inspired by jazz. You know, it's like I went to jazz school because that was the next step in improving like all these skill sets that I wanted, you know, and, and developing, you know, a strong understanding of music theory. But I really hadn't played any jazz until I got to college. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about growing up around indie music. Would you say that's contributed to your influences? And if so, what are your influences? Yeah, I mean, I grew up like loving the Beatles, which obviously is a cliche, but was huge for me. I don't know exactly what to pin as an influence, though. I, I think it's it's tough to pin, like pinpoint one thing. It's like the Beatles were huge for me, too. It's like my favorite first record was Rubber Soul, you know. Um, but I also grew up like around Chicago blues and I loved what that became from artists in the 60s and 70s, you know, so a lot of old vintage rock like that. And then obviously, you know, things that my friends were listening to that was more modern in the, in the early thousands, you know. Also, you can like hear his blues roots all over everything because he takes a lot of killing solos. And that, that's, that's little Alex blues coming out. <laughs> Good. I like that. Yeah. What, what are you guys listening to at the moment? Like, who are some maybe indie artists or just any artists that you look up to? I think the biggest one immediately for me is Crumb. Um, and we get compared to Crumb quite a bit. And I'm also super into Spirit of the Beehive right now. They're like my favorite band maybe ever. Those are my two huge ones right now. I love Wilco a lot, but more modern stuff, I would say like Madison Cunningham has been like one of my favorites. And, and I've, I've loved seeing the stuff that she's been coming out with. How does it feel to be compared to a band like Crumb? It feels great. I love Crumb. And I feel like we do have really similar vibes, like very keyboard heavy with a female vocalist. So it's definitely similar. And it feels really nice to hear that. Yeah, that's got to be a compliment. Yeah. To be compared to someone you look up to. Totally. Of course. I want to ask about the story behind your band's name. <laughs> you go for it, Alec. Um, we were just like tossing around a bunch of names at the time. We would just like play a new like living room show with a different name every time. And finally, we just let a living room full of people in my house pick because my roommate had suggested Specific Ocean. And we were like, that one? And they were like, yeah. And then we were like, I guess we'll stick with that. There were a lot of really bad options. We almost <laughs> were Jamie Lee Curtis, and then we were like that. I don't think we were allowed uh, I, to do that. I think we were going to be Jamie Lee Curtis Curtis, wasn't it? I don't know. Or drama, exclamation point, at the bat mitzvah was like uh, a joke one. Two. Gongs. Yeah, there was a lot of like, yeah. like really average choices, and we just settled on something. I like that. You let, you let the crowd pick. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
Did you play a lot of house shows like that? Yeah. That was like what we mostly did for a while in college. Like Mm -hmm. people throw a party, we play in their living room. And those are like some of my favorite memories of being in college too. Such intense energy. And it was like really fun to, you know, like see your peers and your friends like surrounding you in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Would you say that those were some of your best gigs? Hmm. Mm. I know. I don't. I don't know. There's one particular one that I remember in my friend Bridget's living room. Mm-hmm. Wait, that was your. He lived there, and then our bass player Bridget also we lived just in that house. Houses. <laughs> I don't know. I personally do think some of those shows, but it was like a totally different lineup. It's, it's a different energy it's too. Cha- our band has changed quite a bit. We're like the two remaining founding members. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot different, I guess. Speaking of you guys being the founding members, you've been in a band since 2015, is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's about seven years ago, which is kind of crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you attribute that longevity to? I guess our friendship. Yeah, Alex, was- my best friend. Yeah, we talk like every day and, you know, share all the secrets. And we lived together for like two or three, two years. Two years. Yeah. It's just like we found such a good musical connection with each other mm-hmm. and the friendship is so strong. It just is very natural. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You were able to find musical soulmates mm-hmm. in each other. Yeah. Aw. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your writing process like when you get together it's it's kind of a mishmash like you know it's it's like somebody comes in with a set of changes like chord changes and then we might try to mesh it with the other person's set you know and so we'll come in with like like four or five of those at a time and then be like well where does where does this go and how do we link it yeah sometimes alec will bring like a full song form or i'll bring a full song form usually lyrics are like a last minute, yeah, like, not very thought through effort for me personally. I know you have written much more meaningful lyrics than me. <laughs> Mine are like sometimes just like because I know I need to be saying something. Mm-hmm. I just put words in it and it's not very meaningful sometimes. I don't know. Less so lately. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that like sometimes you, you get a section that means something to you and then you're like, okay, well, that's a theme, you know, and I've kind of said what I needed to say, but we still have to continue through and finish this song. But a lot of the focus for us is also on the melody and and the music too. So that's, you know, an important aspect of it. And sometimes lyrics can be a vehicle for the melody or they can be a vehicle for self-expression. I don't think that it's wrong to think of it in either way. That's true. I also think the way we write, at least me, is very influenced by jazz not in the like well in the harmony a lot but mm-hmm. kind of like the way i conceptualize a song like usually there's room for a solo yeah and usually i don't have a set part until we've played it so many times because we're just like improvisers mm-hmm. so we're never we'll like be playing the same changes but definitely just doing different stuff while we kind of figure it out and so I would say songs don't even get finished until we've performed them like several times, yeah, if that makes sense. Sometimes you get on stage and something happens and it's cool or you pick a different effect. Like changes in harmony are, are kind of like an open canvas, right? You can choose to apply an articulation to them in so many different ways, you know, and you don't always know what's going to feel best until something happens in the moment. And then you sort of commit and develop it a little bit more. 
Mm. So you guys write by improvising. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. That's cool. Yeah. I guess on the topic of lyrics, because I think about lyrics a lot just in my brain, what are some topics that you usually gravitate towards? What do you tend to write the most about lyrically? <laughs> um, I usually write about boys and being sad about them. And I also wrote a song about sexism and an experience I had. So I guess usually I write songs about negative experiences, which is interesting to reflect on. But it's kind of a way of healing, I guess. So that's probably why that happens. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I think, you know, you're looking for something, some way to deal with what's happening to you in the moment, you know? And so it's like, that's why I also think lyrics become sort of an afterthought to us because it's like we spend this time on the harmony and maybe developing melody. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, what's happening to me like this week? Like, how am I feeling yeah, right that's now? True. Like, we're going into this rehearsal. We've got this structure, but like, what do I want to talk about? You know, and that's, um, I think it's important to, you know, leave yourself space to think about that kind of stuff. Mm. And I think like sexism in the music industry is super relevant and mm -hmm. it's something that I... I like to bring up and I like to talk to people about, I guess, what has been your experience in, in that? Well, the song Killjoy, that's like the main one I'm kind of referencing, was written after a very specific experience and while I was getting my master's degree. And because like jazz especially is such a male dominated field, there's, all, there's always microaggressions, but this was like very blatantly like I was pinned as the, like, the, I was the oldest woman in the jazz department mm -hmm. of like five of us. And then I was like kind of told to deal with some sexist comments that were happening instead of the people who were in charge taking care of it. And it was really, it was a horrible experience. Like it felt really bad. And yeah, I will say that the Denver jazz community and music community is really good in a lot of ways. and. I have a lot of friends, male friends, who stand up for me regularly and are aware of what's going on. So I think it's getting better. But in the jazz world, it's just like every woman you talk to has experienced something. And yeah, so it comes up for me quite a bit. Would you say that that kind of experience is more common in like a school setting? I don't know. Well, so while I was getting my master's, I wrote a big paper about sexism in jazz and kind of looked at the roots of why it's there. And it, like a big part of it is like women or young girls being told to choose like traditionally more feminine instruments or like steering them away from something like the saxophone or the drums or like the bass. And so it starts really young educationally, just like kind of because there's a weird built-in bias. And then that just continues. And I think that jazz schools have been run by men forever. There's not a lot of female role models out there. So it kind of like just bleeds over because everyone who goes to jazz school is also out in the community playing music. So I wouldn't say it's more prevalent in education, but I would say that it's like all goes hand in hand, if that makes sense. I don't know if that was a very good answer. That was a great answer. I appreciated it. Thank you. Yeah. And besides that kind of negativity, and I know it's there, what do you guys think makes the Denver music scene like special or unique or 
good or positive? Well, I just think the sense of community is so strong and people are so friendly and willing to just like show up for each other. Like I meet people here at UMS and then we go to each other's shows throughout the year. You know, you, you make all these new connections and it's a very supportive scene and that's what I love about it. Yeah, it doesn't feel cutthroat in any way. You know, it feels very supportive and it's like I love when I'm playing and I get to look out and see you know, my friends in the audience who are also musicians who I love and respect, you know, and I, you know, love to return that support. It's a lot of fun. That is great. We talked a little bit about your lyrical songwriting, song conception process. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to know what is your recording process like? We usually like pick a day or two where we have our, whatever we want to record. And our friend Kevin Sincata has been the one who's done all of our recording and mixing and mastering mm-hmm. for the last like three releases we've done and the upcoming one and um, yeah we just kind of knock it all out yeah we just go in there and we track it live for the most part you know it's um, it's important to us to like represent the composition as a whole I would say you know we, we don't do a bunch of overdubs it's like we, we just go in and we try to nail it and we do as many takes as are necessary to make that happen for something that feels really good. That's dedication. Yeah, if there's overdubs, it's like because we want to add a little part. Yeah, but it's or never like vocal doubling. Yeah. You know, something that just But usually it's like a just a full band live take. Cool. And you guys have released music in the year 2020. And I wanted to ask, what was that like to release music that fateful year? Well, it was weird for sure. Was that Killjoy or Unity Effect? I don't remember. We Unity did play Effect a show. We played a masked show at Lost Lake where like that we did two sets. February 2021 though, I think. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, but that's, yeah. That's still, uh, yeah. But it was cool to play. We played a couple of masked shows. Yeah, and they felt, they felt Good. It, it was it was odd though because it's it's this feeling of like, does it feel socially responsible? But at the same time, it's like we're trying to work with the venues to be as safe as possible, and you know we feel that music is so important to community and you know expression and getting to share that with people is important. So yeah, I don't know. It was it was definitely weird though to do a yeah. release during the pandemic. We did like those like video like we would send each other. We would record our own part mm-hmm. and then send each other videos and then do like a four square like. Yeah, mixing and syncing for videos and doing yeah. all that in logic with iPhone recordings and, and stuff. Yeah. A lot of people grappled with like needing to perform mm-hmm. and also ha- like having anxiety yeah. about COVID. So I guess how did you balance those two things? How did you grapple with those two things? Well, my COVID anxiety, I have like health anxiety anyway. So my COVID anxiety was through the roof at all times. And I think I I felt okay, though, if it was like a a masked show. Masked, reduced capacity. That felt okay to me. And um, yeah, I definitely needed to play. And it was like healing to be able to play with people. And I think we always did it in a responsible way. Yeah. So outdoor shows too. Yeah. Was big. Um, being able to, being outside and feel safe about that, you know, in the open air and with masks and 
yeah, but it was it was for sure tough. You know, it felt very isolating. You know, this thing that you've built into the way that you live your life is now like an immediate threat, and it's it also feels like you're putting yourself or your friends in some sort of harm's way. And it's like, how do we how do we navigate that? And I think we tried to do a, just our best. Yeah, and we're also both like working musicians, so a significant portion of our income is based on playing gigs. Yeah, and it was like that was also really hard. Yeah. And so that was also like when we can play, like it was, we had to, you yeah. know, cause it's also our, our living. Our livelihood. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Well, I'm glad you guys are at UMS. Yeah. We're yeah. so happy. I know. We were amazing. supposed to play last year and I got COVID like two days before and it was a huge bummer. Oh man. So this, so sad. this feels even like even better than it already would, you know, like it's just like such a release. dream come true. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of joy here. Yes, you can sense it. For anyone who sees you live, what can they expect from Specific Ocean live? Well, you can expect some shredding guitar solos from Alec Wenzel here. Oh. Also you, some shredding keys solos. There's like two of them, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You go. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I think like what is so cool about our live sets, and this is something that I love about listening to records versus seeing shows is that our live sets have so much more energy than our recordings do. And it's it's fun to to bring that, you know, and I I love that when I also go see live music is when I'm I'm used to something that feels very intimate and something that I spend a lot of time with and then I see it explode on stage. Yeah. That's high beautiful. energy for sure. Mm -hmm. What advice do you guys have for young artists or artists who are just beginning? I think my biggest thing is to make the music that you want to make and like not be swayed by anyone else's opinion of that music. And if it is fulfilling to you, then keep doing it because that's the point is like to feel your feelings and make the music that intuitively feels good to you. And also, you know, to practice a lot and spend the time building skills so that you can express yourself but never losing sight of the music that's important to you and doesn't matter if anyone else likes it. Yeah, I 100% I agree. I don't know that I could add anything to that. That's great. Thank you. And before we end, uh, could you tell everyone where we can find you and your music? Yeah, so we're on all the streaming platforms and we're on Instagram as Specific Ocean Band. Mm -hmm. And you can email us at specific ocean band at gmail.com. Gmail we love to email. I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's that's it. We don't use other social media, so yeah. Instagram is it. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on Underground at the Showcase. It's been such a great conversation. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this was so much fun. Underground at the Showcase is an official podcast of the Underground Music Showcase and a production of Youth on Record. You can learn more about Youth on Record at youthonrecord.org and on social media at Youth on Record. You can stream our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Our team includes Lauren Francisco, Sean King, and Tierney Worthen. This episode was edited and mixed by Akello Stallings. Our executive producers are July Jones and David Layden. Additional music for this episode was provided by 88. We want to give a big thanks to Mutiny Information Cafe for hosting us. 
You can learn more about Mutiny at mutinyinfocafe.com. Thank you for tuning into the show. I'm Danny Akery. And I'm Genevieve Glimp, and you are listening to Underground the Showcase.